Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else. Even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is Plush Care. Plush Care is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. One size fits all seems like a good idea for clothes until you try them on. Same goes for healthcare. That's why United Healthcare offers flexible, budget-friendly coverage for medical, vision, dental, and more. Learn more at uh1.com. Right now in the United States, people should not be walking around with masks. While elections are sometimes messy, this was a secure election. The founders began the fight for human liberty and self-governance, and it's up to us to finish the job. I tell you what, we are in a truth emergency right now. This is the end game. It's Friday, December 30th, 2022, the 709th day of dystopia. I'm your moderator, Chris Paul. Let's be reasonable. A warm welcome and hello to all of you listening to the podcast on the day of its release. The only way to do that is by becoming a paid subscriber at I'mYourModerator.Substack.com. You can do so for as little as $50 a year or $5 a month, and in doing so, you will be supporting me, the work I do, and this show as it expands. If you can't or you simply don't want to, continue listening to the podcast for free a couple of days later on a wide variety of podcast platforms and, of course, Rumble. All I ask is that you share it with your friends. You can find the links to the podcast, the social media, the writing, and the merch site simply by going to linktree.com slash I'm your moderator. So we have not discussed the very deadly pandemic in too much depth in a little while, because I think that most of the people who listen to this show are pretty much on the same page with everything COVID related. It is obviously all nonsense based on lies. And the best thing to do is not comply with any of it and assume that they're trying to kill you because there's no reason not to believe that at this point. But we can't ignore it completely. And because it's Friday and we love to have fun on Friday, let's start with an article 
from Wednesday in The New Yorker. The headline is The Case for Wearing Masks Forever. And it's by a woman named Emma Green. Last December, the Centers for Disease Control and Prevention announced that it was shortening the recommended isolation period for those with COVID-19 to five days. Getting exposed to the virus no longer meant that people needed to quarantine either, as long as they were fully vaccinated and wore a mask. It was a big moment, and it occurred just as the Omicron variant was surging. Mindy Thompson, full of love, a professor of urban policy and health at the new school, was livid. Oh, no. The last thing you want to do is make a professor of urban policy and health livid. Also, way to describe the situation last year. You didn't need to quarantine as long as you were fully vaccinated and wore a mask. Well, that's strange because neither full vaccination nor the wearing of masks prevents COVID from spreading at all, nor does it prevent you from getting COVID. Full of love, who is capital letter black, has spent her career studying epidemics, first AIDS, then crack, then multi-drug resistant tuberculosis. She has seen how disease can ravage cities, especially in black and working class communities. From the beginning, full of love, was skeptical of how the federal government handled the coronavirus pandemic. But these new recommendations from the CDC, she said, were flying in the face of science. And I would agree that the recommendations were absolutely flying in the face of the science. Not long after the announcement, she sent an email to a listserv called The Spirit of 1848 for progressive public health practitioners. Can we have a people's CDC and give people good advice? She asked. A flurry of responses came back. What emerged was the people's CDC, a ragtag coalition of academics, doctors, activists, and artists who believe that the government has left them to fend for themselves against COVID-19, which is, by the way, what the government should have done the entire time. Turns out the people could have fended for themselves just fine. As governments, schools, and businesses have scaled back their COVID precautions, the members of the People's CDC have made it their mission to distribute information about the pandemic, what they see as real information, as opposed to what's circulated by the actual CDC. Well, wait a second. I thought the CDC was what constituted real information. But now the New Yorker magazine is making it seem like These doctors and academics and activists and artists could decide for themselves what constituted real information, even while disagreeing with the CDC. They believe the CDC's data and guidelines have been distorted by powerful forces with vested interests in keeping people at work and keeping anxieties about the pandemic down. You got it? The government wanted people to stay at work. Now, If you had your business destroyed or your career destroyed by the government's response to the very deadly pandemic, you might think, what are they talking about? The government was trying to keep people at work. Well, that doesn't make sense. The regime has pushed lockdowns for the entire time. Are they claiming that the lockdowns would have worked better if we just locked down harder? 
That's like when the solution to all of the problems caused by communism is just more communism. The public has a right to a sound reading of the data that's not influenced by politics and big business, Full of Love said. And of course, I would agree with that. But we all got censored for actually doing that throughout the last three years. No one is in charge of the people's CDC and no one's expertise is valued more than anyone else's. Well, that's interesting. Why do you have activists and artists as part of your collective? And why are their thoughts given the same weight as academics and doctors? Don't you trust the experts? Don't you trust the science? The problems of, quote, the pandemic and its response are rooted in hierarchical organizations says Mary Germanis Saba, a filmmaker and one of the volunteers. Roughly 40 people come to each weekly meeting, but many more are involved. This spring, after a few of the group's organizers published a manifesto of sorts in The Guardian, several thousand interested people reached out, Full of Love said. The group sends out a weekly weather report put together by a team composed in part of doctors and epidemiologists summarizing data about transmission rates, new variants, and death rates. Oh, because the tests work. You got it? The transmission rates are based on the tests that we know don't work. So they're following the transmission rates in order to advise public policy based on tests that don't work. They are indeed doubling down on all of the wrong parts of the government's response. They've published explainers on testing, masks, and ventilation, among other topics, typically with a call to action. Call the White House. Call your congressperson. Demand free tests and treatment for all. On their website, they recently posted a guide for safer gatherings, which recommends that all events be held outdoors with universal high-grade masking. You see, you can't have events during the winter in a cold place unless you want to build a bonfire and perhaps erect a canopy and make sure everyone is totally bundled up and don't even think about celebrating the new year. The organization has nearly 20,000 followers on Instagram, and it prides itself as a resource for various groups, including people who are immunocompromised and want to find a way to protect themselves and activists who are trying to lobby their local government for more COVID restrictions. Although the group has been scathing in its critiques of the CDC, it has received support from respected institutions in the public health world. It has also received blue chip funding from organizations such as the Kresge Foundation, which focuses on expanding opportunities in American cities, and the Robert Wood Johnson Foundation, one of the most influential health-focused philanthropies in America, which gave the group $150,000. As it happens, Robert Wood Johnson's CEO, Richard E. Besser, is a former acting director of the CDC. And as we've discussed many times, the Robert Wood Johnson Foundation is your typical globalist regime philanthropy. The Robert Wood Johnson Foundation was one of the driving forces behind Obamacare, and they ally with the Tides Foundation, which is George Soros and Pew Charitable Trusts. So it should be no surprise that they are happy to give a little bit of money to an organization who's saying, hey, everybody, the regime's most harmful COVID policies 
simply didn't go hard enough. And I don't often like to compare the size of people's social media followings because I think that's silly. But this group with 20,000 Instagram followers is getting $150,000 from one of the globalist philanthropies? Why? Full of love would neither confirm nor deny whether there are any current CDC employees involved with the People's CDC. But in a recent webinar, Edgar Rivera Colon, who often serves as the group's meeting facilitator, claimed that there has been at least some moral support. We have comrades that are within the CDC who are saying to us, go ahead with your bad selves. Comrades, go ahead with your bad selves. These people are communists. And by the way, why wouldn't you confirm nor deny whether or not there are CDC employees in your ostensibly anti-CDC organization? The New Yorker is literally doing advertisement for a group who thinks that to truly respect the science, you have to go way more authoritarian on what the science recommends. What's clear is that the People's CDC interprets evidence about this stage of the pandemic and what we should do about it differently than the CDC in the White House. Their goal is to provide the public with an alternative source of information. The organization is part of a much broader ecosystem of left-wing public health groups that advocate more persistent mitigations. There are support communities for those experiencing long COVID, including Survivor Corps, which has almost 200,000 members on Facebook. Research groups like the UK's independent SAGE, which reviews the British government's pandemic policies and nonprofit activist groups such as Public Health Connected, which provides resources to healthcare professionals. This constituency is loud on Twitter and they are influential in the press. So a broader ecosystem of left wing public health groups that advocate for more persistent mitigations. Their goal is to provide an alternate source of information. Are they claiming to have alternate facts? Are they claiming that the CDC, which represents the science, is getting something wrong? How dare they? Why is the New Yorker promoting this after years of saying this will lead to the downfall of society? It turns out you're allowed to disagree with the experts and choose not to follow the science as long as you are supporting the regime even harder than the experts and the science are. There's a second story of the pandemic happening, which is not about it's time to go back to normal. Greg Gonsalves, a Yale epidemiologist and activist, told me. Normal for whom and who's getting left behind? I think that's where the people's CDC and others are trying to stake a claim and trying valiantly to make an impact. Gonsalves was deeply involved in AIDS activism in the 1990s and early 2000s. Though he is not part of the People's CDC, he's sympathetic to their project. Throughout the past six months or so, he has watched with dismay as big public health organizations have lined up behind the White House's relaxed COVID policies, even as more than 300 people on average die from the virus each day. Gonsalves and like-minded colleagues had assumed that after Joe Biden was elected, they'd feel more aligned with the government's COVID policies. That's not what happened, though. It wasn't just Trump. It wasn't just Biden, Gonsalves said. 
There's a struggle going on right now for the soul of public health. Hey, Gonsalves, public health does not have a soul and it's not supposed to have a soul. It's supposed to communicate scientific truth to the public, except we don't need the government ever pretending to communicate truth to the public. That's why public health as an institution shouldn't exist. In the organization's written materials, a few specific grievances come up again and again with varying degrees of scientific support to back them up. Oh, wait. How can they even be allowed to say it? That sounds like the sort of thing we are supposed to tamp down wherever it arises. First, they hate the new map the CDC debuted in February, which reflects COVID community levels around the country instead of raw case counts. The map tries to account for how hard the virus is hitting healthcare systems in a given area, factoring in things like hospitalization rates and the availability of hospital beds. And of course, it leaves out the fact that the numbers of hospital beds were reduced throughout the pandemic intentionally by the very policies they put in place, like cutting off elective surgeries or like having hospital staff be forced to vaccinate which caused the workforce to shrink. On the community levels map, COVID looks as if it's largely under control, with much of the country shaded green to indicate a low level of spread. The CDC's pastel green map reflects the false impression that the pandemic is over, Phil said in an Instagram reel posted in June. Well, Joe Biden said that on 60 Minutes. The map that the People's CDC circulates, which is based on individual transmission rates, is bright red. At the People's CDC, we want you to know that the community levels map masks the state of the pandemic, she continues. It pretends that COVID transmission doesn't matter. It pretends that it's okay for people to continue dying. Hey, Kami, come on. More grievances. The People's CDC believes that the CDC downplays the risk of long COVID, a post-viral syndrome that can follow the initial infection. And hey, it's going to continue following that initial infection for as long as you continue to destroy your immune system by taking the experimental gene therapy. The People's CDC matter-of-factly reports that getting COVID more than once increases your risk of death and hospitalization and of developing chronic conditions affecting your lungs, heart, brain, and other organs. No amount of COVID is safe, and no number of shots can protect you. <laughs> we want to say plainly that you can have a mild infection and still get long COVID, the organization wrote in a weather report in June. Vaccinated people can also get long COVID. They frequently cite the figure that one in five cases may lead to long COVID symptoms based on a Wait, what's this? Uh, oh, uh, based on a CDC study of data gathered in part before vaccines were widely available. Huh? Well, that, you know, doesn't seem that consistent. All of this is an argument against treating COVID like any other inevitable seasonal yuck. The people's CDC argues. Instead, we should think about it as a mass disabling event. What? Instead of thinking about it as an inevitable seasonal yuck, we have to think about it as a mass disabling event. You got that? Child brains out there. Do you understand what they're saying? 
It's not like getting a boo-boo on your knee-knee or getting the sniffles. It's like your government throwing you in a wood chipper. And then there are masks. The People's CDC strongly supports mask mandates, and they have called on federal, state, and local governments to put them back in place, arguing that the vaccine-only strategy promoted by the CDC is insufficient. The group has noted that resistance to masks is most common among, you guessed it, white people. Lucky Tran, who organizes the coalition's media team, recently tweeted a YouGov survey supporting this and wrote that, quote, a lot of anti-mask sentiment is deeply embedded in white supremacy. Sorry, folks, with an X, F-O-L-X, that's just the science. Now, disputing that that is the science, this is Joe Biden's own COVID advisor, Ashish Jha, last week. I actually think uh, this is probably the most important long-term thing we can be doing for schools, for office buildings, for nursing homes. Indoor air quality is sort of, has just not gotten the level of attention it deserves. You know, most experts believe that if we make some basic investments in indoor air quality, we can reduce infect all respiratory infections by 30, 60, even 80%. I mean, the notion that you could cut respiratory infections, there's no study in the world that shows that masks work that well. So you're never gonna get the kind of benefit from mandatory year-round masking as you would from making substantial improvements in indoor air quality. But it's a lot easier to implement as well. Well, hey, Kami, what the hell are you talking about? There are no studies that show masks work to mitigate the spread of an aerosolized virus? How did you come to that conclusion that has been supported by the last century of science and that everyone, including Anthony Fauci, knew at the beginning of the very deadly pandemic? And because everybody knows that masks don't work and there are still some people who want everybody masked again, as this headline says, forever. Well, you've got to create some sort of selling point. And the best selling point, as always, is accusing the people who don't agree with you of white supremacy and then running a fake poll to support your narrative, citing the poll as if it proves you are correct. This kind of accusation is common for the people's CDC. Their messaging has the unmistakable inflection of activist speak, marked by a willingness to make eye-popping claims about the motivations of politicians, corporations, or anyone in power. To name it clearly, the CDC's policies are eugenic, the weather report team wrote in August. They rely on and promote the indefensible stance that disabled and elderly, poor and working class people are disposable, unworthy of care, and unworthy of participation in society. Eugenic policies have a long and ugly history, commonly associated with Nazis, white supremacists, and others who advocate the racial purification of humanity. I asked Phil whether she truly believes the CDC is eugenicist along these lines. Just because a charge is difficult or impactful doesn't make it a wrong charge, she said. And it turns out they're actually right about that claim. There is no doubt about that whatsoever. The regime's abortion policies are clearly eugenic and started in eugenics. Margaret Sanger, the woman who founded Planned Parenthood, was a eugenicist and wanted to exterminate black people. And then Bill Gates' father was involved with Planned Parenthood. And Bill Gates is absolutely a eugenicist who wants to depopulate the planet. 
he says it pretty much all the time. And he says it in public and people know that he says it in public, but they just don't take it seriously. They think he must be talking about something else or that there really is a claim that we need to limit Earth's population in order to save the planet from the sun. And so what's happening here is interesting. It's like they're trying to corral the people on the far left who have realized that the COVID response was absolute bullshit, but they still love COVID so much. They have so much invested in COVID. They know that the system is corrupt. And so what they need to do is call out the system's corruption and say the system actually didn't go far enough. We are going to have to push the system even further in the direction the system already wanted to go. That's the only way to course correct is by actually speeding what they wanted along a lot faster. The group's saltiest spokesman is Rob Wallace, an independent scientist and researcher who anchors another weekly rundown called COVID This Week. In 10 to 20 minute long video briefings, Wallace runs through slides mapping the rise of new variants and levels of COVID detected in wastewater, an indicator of spread that he claimed in a November dispatch will become increasingly important as states follow, quote, the NIH and CDC's lead by abandoning COVID surveillance reporting, end quote. Wallace saves the most colorful part of his reports until the end when he comments on the political and corporate influences shaping public health policy. In August, when the CDC announced an internal reorganization to address its pandemic failures, Wallace observed that the whole affair has an air of rearranging the chairs on the deck of a sinking ship. He added, quote, the U.S. is on the far side of its cycle of accumulation and its high point in building empire. Its political class is now in the business of helping its financial supporters cash out, turning capital into money. OK, end quote. All the talk about empire building and capital accumulation, a key component of Marxist economic theory, made me wonder whether the people in the People's CDC are those people. When I asked Wallace this on Zoom, he gruffly denied that the members are all communists. <laughs> Some of them are avowed and open communists and the others are are just allied with communism, but they can't call themselves communist, of course, because they're getting paid by the Robert Wood Johnson Foundation. So they can't go full commie to the point where they actually hate rich people because, of course, they depend on rich people. But here's the thing. If you help in any way to advance the agenda and the political priorities and even the communications of avowed communists, you're a communist. So sorry, your whole organization actually is full of communists. He says, there's certainly an edge of red baiting on your part. He was offended that she asked him, hey, is it kind of like the case that you guys are all communists. <laughs> and he says that they're not all communists. At its core, public health is an argument. Amy Fairchild, a professor and dean of the College of Public Health at The Ohio State University, who is not part of the People's CDC, told me. So public health is an argument. I thought public health 
was taking the science and then telling people what the rules are. Prepare for incoming full communism with this quote right here. It's an argument about what we owe to and what we must sometimes do to each other in the name of the common good. Now that is spectacular. The People's CDC is staking out a radical claim about our mutual obligations in a pandemic. All of us believe that there's no acceptable number of deaths. Germanus Saba, the filmmaker, said, we're all responsible for the safety of all life, except when it comes to supporting people with a depopulation agenda and being fully supportive of abortion. If your goal is to get as close as possible to zero COVID deaths, the available policy options are not great. Well, so you want a zero COVID policy like the one the CCP imposed in parts of China? Do you really just want people to be locked into their homes? Is that how important it is to not have another COVID death anywhere in the world? If the United States were an island in the South Pacific with a population smaller than that of New York City, we could pursue a policy similar to New Zealand's in the early months of the pandemic, strictly limiting travel to and from the country. Or if the government were willing to follow China's longtime strategy, we could lock down whole cities, confine children at their boarding schools for months at a time, and forcibly send people to state-run quarantine facilities. The People's CDC members weren't willing to talk about what it would take to achieve zero COVID cases in the U.S. It's not our job to dictate policy, Phil said. We're filling gaps. We're trying to change the narrative, and we're trying to lean into love and equity. They just won't talk about what it takes to get to the point where they are really trying to bring people. So they want the moral benefit of supporting the most perfect utopian good. They just don't want to account for any of the ways their utopian good could be reached, which they certainly do discuss. You have heard them discuss them, and they certainly are promoting public policy. They just won't explain how that public policy would ever work or what the downside impacts might be, which means that in a situation where they would be forced to explain those things, they'll skip the conversation entirely. How very communist of them. For the public health leaders who actually do dictate policy, though, the question of how you put an ideal into practice is not one that can be sidestepped. The goal initially was to eradicate and eliminate the virus. Howard Coe, a Harvard public health professor and former assistant secretary of health, told me a couple years into it, everyone now realizes that's not a realistic goal. I called Tom Frieden, who led the CDC during the Obama years to see what he made of the people's CDC. He had never heard of the group before I got in touch, but he took a look at their materials ahead of our call. He praised the organization's guide to self-protection for immunocompromised people and agreed that some of their recommendations, like universal masking in times of high COVID spread, were good ideas in theory. But is that going to happen? Absolutely not, he said. The next best thing is to try to get people vaccinated and boosted to increase access to high-quality masks and Paxlovid. If you're giving recommendations that no one's going to follow, that's not only non-productive, it's counterproductive because that undermines your credibility. He says this 
while encouraging vaccines and boosters that do not prevent infection, transmission, serious illness, hospitalization, or death. He wants to increase access to high quality masks, which studies have proven time and time again, do not work. And if you're not interested in studies and you don't have to be, by the way, you don't need studies to back up everything you believe, especially if you can see it in real life. If the masks worked, why didn't they? Why didn't they? It's because they don't work and everyone knows it. And even those high quality masks don't work. And the studies prove that too, which is why forever, no one has ever believed except for that period of mid 2020 to a few months later, that masks actually could work. No one ever believed that the science never showed that in any way, but he's still encouraging it. And of course, Paxlovid actually causes more COVID. People have rebound cases constantly and they react to the drug. Paxlovid is a terrible drug. The scientific claims that the people CDC makes about the real CDC's policies are not necessarily straightforward either. The people CDC says that a five day isolation period for vaccinated people is unsupported by evidence. But some studies suggest that most transmission happens right before and right after people develop symptoms and that vaccinated people spread the virus for a shorter period of time than unvaccinated people. Of course, some studies suggest is hardly a solid enough scientific standard to begin creating rules for other people. The group argues that one-way masking is insufficient, but some experts in airborne transmission argue that it's strongly protective for vulnerable people, except some experts argue is not any standard either. Although the people's CDC tends to see large corrupting forces at work behind shifts in public health policy, sometimes the actual explanations are more mundane and zinc. Alaska's chief medical officer and the president of the Association of State and Territorial Health Officials pushed back on Wallace's claim that states are in cahoots with the CDC to abandon COVID data gathering. Her department doesn't have the money or political backing to set up daily nasal swab testing sites. Instead, it's investing in wastewater testing, but not as a conspiracy to obscure what's happening. The practice is just more sustainable. It's tough to definitively adjudicate these disputes. In the progressive imagination, science is sometimes treated like a static text that's easy to interpret with clear takeaways for behavior. Oh, where did they get that idea? Was it from mainstream media outlets like The New Yorker and the television and the big tech company censorship and the public health community and the university community and the transnational corporations and the global governmental bodies? Oh, yeah, it's from all of them saying over and over and over again, trust the science, trust the science, trust the science, trust the science. This is scientific consensus, which would mean, by the way, it is a static text that's easy to interpret. That is literally what we were told over and over and over and over and over again. One of the big mistakes in our field is this mantra, follow the science, as though science is not contested, as though there are not evidentiary gaps, as though there are not conflicting reports and data points you have to navigate your way through, Fairchild, the OSU professor, said. The People's CDC talks about science as proof that the member's position is correct, when in reality they're making a case for how they wish the world to be and selecting scientific evidence to build their narrative. 
It's kind of moralistic scientism, a belief that science infallibly validates lefty moral sensibilities. Again, where did they get that idea? And if that idea is so wrong, why are they being financially supported by the same people that support the other stuff? This approach falls flat in areas where scientific knowledge is lacking, such as long COVID. Leanna Wen, a professor at George Washington University's School of Public Health and the former health commissioner of Baltimore, told me that there is a distinction between patients who have trouble recovering from a bad COVID case or who experience lingering symptoms and those who are truly debilitated afterward. Now, Leanna Wen is that crazy lady who was always on CNN and ends all her words with this sound. That's not one in five patients, she said, of the latter group. The People's CDC rejects any suggestion that long COVID is less than a crisis. Long COVID might not even exist. Hey, how about that, People's CDC? Prove long COVID exists. Wallace told me that when is a quintessential minimizer who has benefited professionally by advocating, for example, to scale back mask mandates. Leanna Wen was one of the most hardcore communists on television when it came to masking and vaccines. She advocated for extremist versions of every one of those policies, including like the inability to travel or go to work. She thought that unvaccinated people needed to be punished. Otherwise, they wouldn't have any incentive to vaccinate. She is widely distrusted by progressive activists who work in public health. Earlier this year, a group calling her views on the pandemic unscientific, unsafe, ableist, fat phobic and unethical circulated a petition to get her kicked off a panel at the American Public Health Association meeting where when won one of the top prizes only a few years ago. Among the people I spoke with who have actually led public health agencies, all were sympathetic to some of the critiques that the people's CDC makes. The pandemic has opened what were cracks in our healthcare system and exposed them as large chasms, Zink said. The systems that we built have failed America and failed us individually, end quote. But these experts also found it hard to take the group seriously because of its strident analysis. To make claims that CDC is beholden to big business, this is just nonsense, frankly. Frieden, the agency's former leader, said, once you're sitting at CDC, your goal is not to say the thing that makes you feel best or sounds most politically correct or radical. What is he even talking about? The CDC is absolutely beholden to big pharma and to the military industrial complex. The CDC is absolutely a tool of the regime and denying that as a former member of the CDC is actually pretty amazing. The CDC has become the punching bag of our country, Zink told me. She recognizes that the pandemic has been scary, sad and frustrating for many people. Her reaction to hearing those criticisms, particularly the eugenics comment, it's just more sadness. Oh, you've hurt my emotions. Perhaps when we look back on this time, 
the People's CDC will look like other activist groups that have agitated against the status quo of health care from the margins, ranging from the Black Panthers and the young lords of the 1960s and 70s to the AIDS activists of the 80s and 90s. They take explicit inspiration from groups such as ACT UP, which pursued its own medical research, provided treatments and staged protests in response to the government's inaction during the AIDS crisis. Those groups all found ways to help members of their communities when they felt that society had left them behind. One way to look at the People's CDC is as a movement to recapture our sense of interdependence, both in terms of our health and our communities. Whether we acknowledge it or not, we all help determine one another's health. Nothing has underscored that as powerfully as the COVID-19 pandemic, Fairchild said. In much of America, the pandemic has seemed over for a long time. I asked the People's CDC members what they made of the fact that in large swaths of the country, people don't seem to care that much about COVID. I would just disagree with the statement that they don't care. Hope Brassfield, an embroiderer who lives in Tennessee, replied. How can you judge whether or not somebody cares about something if they don't even know about it? She pointed out that in red states like hers, politicians have consistently downplayed the pandemic. I don't accept the idea that it is our fault, the people's fault for this pandemic continuing. Valenti, the retired nurse in Georgia, said America is heading into its third covid winter, this time paired with high rates of flu and RSV. Mayor Eric Adams just urged New Yorkers to put their masks back on. People are tired of it all, but the people's CDC members do not feel deterred. The reality is I feel so hopeful, Phil said, testing, masking moving events outdoors. If we do these things, it's not a slog, she added. It's uplifting. It's a demonstration of care and solidarity and love. Well, okay, but really it's a demonstration of communism and how care, solidarity, and love become total inversions within the false reality. Their policies show no care whatsoever for human life. Every one of the COVID mitigation strategies has destroyed lives and destroyed societies. Things like lockdowns and school closures and Zoom meetings and social media have further atomized society in every possible way. They are creating a false solidarity and that solidarity exists to move the communist agenda forward. That is the only solidarity they've created. And that solidarity exists within a small and continually shrinking extreme left and love. None of this is love. This is the push, the advocation for authoritarianism. They support love of the state. They support love of rules. They're claiming that when you say the science doesn't go far enough, you're a hero. But when you claim that the anti-scientific policies are damaging and that the data and plenty of experts support that position, you're a white supremacist. But let's see how things are really going. This is from last week. The Gateway Pundit, unexpected. MRNA vaccines increase risk of contracting COVID-19. Each booster shot raises risk even more in study of 51,000 
Cleveland Clinic workers. So the Cleveland Clinic is a storied medical institution. Now, people are going to say, oh, well, that's the Gateway Pundit. Yes, it's the Gateway Pundit reporting on a study from the Cleveland Clinic. And then people will say, well, it's a preprint study. Okay, Kami, are you suggesting that the Cleveland Clinic is wrong in their study of 51,000 people? Did they not do the study correctly? You want to wait for the peer review before understanding this is true? There are people actually out there who would make that argument. And what is the result of people believing such an argument? Well, it's almost certain that this preprint study will pass peer review and then just be a scientific study. And to ignore it in the meantime means that you continue advocating for the vaccine, which is not a vaccine, while ignoring the real results of what the not a vaccine actually produces. And that, my friends, has a death toll. So to dismiss this because it's reported in the Gateway Pundit and because it's a preprint study actually has extraordinary negative consequences for the world. But within the false reality, you cannot believe anything until the authoritative source incorporates it into the official story. This will not be incorporated into the official story. So it is not true until it is. A stunning preprint study by the Cleveland Clinic published Monday at MedRxiv shows that mRNA vaccines raise the risk of contracting COVID-19 and that each mRNA vaccine booster increases the risk of contracting COVID-19. While those who have not received any mRNA vaccine have the lowest risk of contracting COVID-19. While the increased risk was relatively minimal, the result is the opposite of how the vaccines have been sold and mandated by government authorities. The highest risk was for those who received more than three vaccines. The study was reported by the Cleveland Clinic's Nabeen Shrestha, Patrick C. Burke, Amy Nowacki, James Simon, Amanda Hagen, and Stephen M. Gordon. Quote from the study. The association of increased risk of COVID-19 with higher numbers of prior vaccine doses in our study was unexpected. The study was conducted this fall on 51,011 Cleveland Clinic workers to see how effective the new bivalent mRNA vaccine was in preventing infections. Only 21% of workers received the bivalent booster, which was seen to only have a 30% effectiveness. Overall, 5% of all workers in the study contracted COVID during the 13-week study period. And I'll go through the abstract and the introduction. The purpose of this study was to evaluate whether a bivalent COVID-19 vaccine protects against COVID-19. Employees of the Cleveland Clinic in employment on the day the bivalent COVID-19 vaccine first became available to employees were included. The cumulative incidence of COVID-19 was examined over the following weeks. Protection provided by vaccination, analyzed as a time-dependent covariate, was evaluated using Cox proportional hazards regression. The analysis was adjusted for the pandemic phase when the last prior COVID-19 episode occurred and the number of prior vaccine doses received. Among 51,011 employees, 20,689, 41%, 
had had a previous documented episode of COVID-19 and 42,064, 83%, had received at least two doses of a COVID-19 vaccine. COVID-19 occurred in 2,452 during the study. Risk of COVID-19 increased with time since the most recent prior COVID-19 episode and with the number of vaccine doses previously received. In multivariable analysis, the bivalent vaccinated state was independently associated with lower risk of COVID-19, leading to an estimated vaccine effectiveness of 30%. Compared to last exposure of SARS-CoV-2 within 90 days, Last exposure six to nine months previously was associated with twice the risk of COVID-19 and last exposure nine to 12 months previously with 3.5 times the risk. The bivalent, this is the conclusion, the bivalent COVID-19 vaccine given to working aged adults afforded modest protection overall against COVID-19, while the virus strains dominant in the community were those represented in the vaccine. Among 51,011 working-aged Cleveland Clinic employees, the bivalent COVID-19 vaccine booster was 30% effective in preventing infection during the time when the virus strains dominant in the community were represented in the vaccine. In their conclusion, after stating that the association of increased risk of COVID-19 with higher numbers of prior vaccine doses in our study was unexpected, they write in order to, you know, explain all of this away. We still have a lot to learn about protection from COVID-19 vaccination. And in addition to a vaccine's effectiveness, it is important to examine whether multiple vaccine doses given over time may not be having the beneficial effect that is generally assumed. Generally assumed. Is that what we are told is scientific consensus at this point? Generally assumed? In conclusion, this study found an overall modest protective effect of the bivalent vaccine booster against COVID-19 among working-aged adults. The effect of multiple COVID-19 vaccine doses on future risk of COVID-19 needs further study. I guess they're just going to have to get more money and keep on studying. Now, you might also have heard last week about how the FDA had admitted that the COVID-19 vaccine causes blood clots. And those posts on social media went viral. Elon Musk interacted with one on Twitter and blew it up further. But the post was flagged on Instagram as part of Facebook's efforts to combat false news and misinformation on its newsfeed. This is Yahoo's fact check about this, by the way. And the fact check says, this is actually from the Austin American Statesman reprinted in Yahoo. No, the FDA didn't say the Pfizer COVID-19 vaccine causes blood clots. So it's been fact checked. Don't worry. The article does note, however, that PolitiFact actually has a partnership with Meta, which owns Facebook and Instagram. And of course, we know that fact checks are the basis for further censorship. So... All of this is an effort to censor inconvenient information. This is what the fact check says about the study. The FDA has been monitoring the safety of COVID-19 vaccines available in the U.S. And researchers released new findings from what they called a nationally representative early warning system on December 1st. 
The study published in the journal Vaccine evaluated 14 safety outcomes after COVID-19 vaccination. It looked at data from the U.S. Centers for Medical and Medicaid Services, covering more than 30 million people ages 65 and older, about 17 million of whom had been vaccinated from December 11th, 2020 through January 15th, 2022. Now, that should strike you as extremely interesting immediately, okay? The U.S. Centers for Medicare and Medicaid Services. These are people who are on government-funded medical care. You would expect that the government would be keeping track of all their records. 30 million people ages 65 and older, and under 60% of them had been vaccinated. We were told that the elderly were the people most vaccinated. How is it that the people in government medical care ages 65 and older are only being vaccinated at like a 57% rate? How does that work? We were told it was so much higher. Researchers said they compared the rate of observed safety outcomes with expected rates prior to COVID-19 vaccination. They found modestly elevated risks in four categories after vaccination with Pfizer's vaccine. The four areas that met the threshold for a statistical signal were pulmonary embolism when a blood clot gets stuck in the lungs, acute myocardial infarction, that's a heart attack, disseminated intravascular coagulation, an abnormal blood clotting condition, and immune thrombocytopenia a blood platelet disorder. Researchers said no statistical signals were found in any categories after someone received the Moderna or Johnson & Johnson vaccines. The findings varied when compared with different control groups. For example, when they compared the data with the peri-COVID period, January 1st, 2020 through December 10th, 2020, when the pandemic began and before vaccines were available, the statistical signal for pulmonary embolism was no longer there, but the signal remained when compared against people in an inpatient setting. To me, the only take home from the study is that there was no strong association, if any, between the vaccines and any of the 14 adverse outcomes studied. Dr. Yazan Abu Ismail, a University of Utah assistant professor and thrombosis expert who specializes in diagnosing and treating blood clots. The modest correlation that was found with four of these outcomes was not consistent with different types of analyses in the same study. The report, which was an update of initial results the FDA disclosed in July 2021, said the statistical signals are not necessarily causal from vaccines and maybe due to other factors. Yeah, like climate change or not enough sleep or not enough sun or conversely, too much sun. Or it could simply result from disinformation or white supremacy. Database studies have major limitations, which is why they are not really a standard in evaluating safety or efficacy of anything. What is the sample size too big for you, bud? We reached out to the FDA and one of the study's authors, but did not immediately get a response. In their findings, the researchers noted several limitations of their study, such as the analysis not adjusting for underlying risk factors such as comorbidities. Smoking, for instance, is a known risk factor for clots. So if one group had more smokers, that could affect the results. Yeah, you got it. It's smoking. We never heard of all these blood clots ever before in the history of humankind. And people have been smoking forever. 
But now the problem is smoking, not the vaccine. Thank you, assistant professor. In addition, certain conditions might be under or overestimated due to diagnosis billing codes in claims data because of reimbursement priorities, the researchers wrote. Now, what is he describing there? He's describing that these medical codes that they write on their diagnosis for record keeping and then reimbursement under these public health plans, these plans run by the government. The health programs are run by the government, Medicaid and Medicare. They're talking about miscoding for reimbursement. We were told that never happened, even during that period in 2020, where we were all saying, hey, they're just marking down COVID and getting paid. The tests don't work. Stop pretending these are all COVID cases and COVID deaths. The researchers added that the report's findings might not be generalizable to those younger than 65 years and adults with commercial or no health insurance. You got it? So your type of health insurance can change whether or not the vaccine causes blood clots. Now, again, this fact check means to prove that the FDA did not admit the vaccines cause blood clots, even though that is what the study says. Now, you can dispute the study, but you can't say it doesn't say what it says. The FDA strongly believes that the benefits of COVID-19 vaccines outweigh the risks of infection, it said. Well, I don't know anybody who's gotten a blood clot from COVID-19 infection, but there are stories everywhere about blood clots and there are died suddenly headlines all over the place, including with professional athletes. The FDA is not taking any regulatory actions based on the findings because they require, quote, more robust study. The report concluded. Abu Ismail, the assistant professor, says he has no concerns about the Pfizer vaccine causing blood clots as a result of this study. This study does not tell me much. There have been many other studies on mRNA vaccines that did not show this relationship, he said. It is common for weak studies to show conflicting results, which is why they cannot be used to determine causation. He pointed to other recent studies that showed no risk of venous thromboembolism after COVID-19 vaccination. Meanwhile, recent studies have shown an increased risk of blood clots from contracting the COVID-19 virus. But who gets COVID-19 more? It's the vaccinated, but it's not the vaccinated causing the blood clot. You see, it's COVID that causes the blood clot. And long COVID, long COVID is a real thing that results from getting the COVID vaccine over and over and over again. But that's just a conspiracy, as are the blood clots. Don't you see the blood clots are from COVID? Did we hear about blood clots in 2020? No. But does that mean it didn't happen? Ha, huh. trust the science. And so here is the ruling from the fact checkers at the Austin American Statesman restating the PolitiFact fact check, our ruling. An Instagram post claimed that the FDA said the Pfizer vaccine causes blood clots. The FDA did not say that. A study by FDA researchers of Medicare and Medicaid data showed that in four categories, including pulmonary embolism, there was a modestly elevated risk after the Pfizer COVID-19 vaccine in people ages 65 and over. 
But the researchers said the early warning system does not prove causation from a vaccine to an outcome and that more robust studies are underway to evaluate the findings. We rate the claim false. So an assistant professor somewhere said that the studies limitations and by limitations, he means it only studied a certain group of people in Medicare and Medicaid. So you can't just apply it to everybody else. And, you know, it was some statistical significance, but there's also suggestions from other studies that this isn't what's happening. And, you know, you can't trust this study. I mean, they only studied the data of 30 million people. That's nothing like when we studied the effectiveness of mask mandates based on 84 people and whatever studies they've been producing the entire time. I discussed at length that mathematical model that said anti-vaccination disinformation had killed 14 million people around the world. That was sponsored by exactly who you would think it was sponsored by. But that study is totally legitimate to these people. But forget it. Studies that don't back up the regime are not the science. Ask the people's CDC. They know. Now, there's been some very interesting and good video that has caught my attention over the last couple of days. So I want to share those clips with you. The first is from Naomi Wolf, appearing yesterday on War Room. We had Dr. Malone talking about the FBI and CIA. We had Derek Carvey, who's a renowned, revered colonel in the intelligence, DIA, all the intelligence services. Uh, how did it get public? How did public health? How are we having public health conversations? And we're talking about FBI, CIA, DNI, part of an apparatus to suppress the truth. How did we get here, Naomi Wolf? I mean, like like uh, Tony Lyons, who's really a hero of free speech, and, and like Dr. Malone, I I am just seeing the full extent of this Leviathan emerge into view. So. You know, I can't wait to read these latest books because I'm shocked as someone who was targeted, I thought, just by the White House, but just by the CDC, you know, just by DHS. Now, finding out that actually the people who are not even supposed to target Americans, meaning the CIA, they're supposed to be working in other countries. It's against the law to target Americans. You know, they and the intelligence community are after the, the free speech rights of Americans and shaping this gigantic global health deception. It's 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 like a, a, a massive nightmare that doesn't end. And I don't yet know the reason. I don't yet know how that coup could have been so effectively engineered, because I know there are good people in the intelligence community. I know there are patriots in the intelligence community. And I don't know, like I'm seeing the symptom, but not the cause with the Pfizer documents. It appears that all these people who are supposed to protect us, who are funded by our tax dollars, and now I don't just mean the FDA, I mean the CIA and the FBI and the Department of Homeland Security, they were in on what is looking like a, a massive physical attack on the American homeland and in Western Europe. Uh, so it, it beggars belief and, and the, the historical dimensions are not clear to me yet. That said, I have an important piece of very sad news to add to this mountain of, of shocking evidence. If I can launch right in with the latest report, um, it's, it's like it's like 61 bodies have been unearthed, you know, in Sarajevo. Um, but for the biomedical uh, assault that uh, Mr. Lyons just described. Tell us what you got, ma'am. Another gigantic 
shocking tragedy, a huge story broken by the War Room Daily Clout, Pfizer Documents Research Volunteers um, under the leadership of Amy Kelly. This is a post-marketing team report three stroke system organ class review of 5.3.6. And the headline is another mass murder um, that Pfizer brought about. Uh, there are two categories of strokes in the Pfizer documents, um, both of them horrific. In this adverse event category, one is bleeding around the brain, other is clotting in and around the brain and, and strokes that involve venous pools within the skull, um, both very serious events. The Pfizer documents show that starting in December of 2020, meaning when everybody from the president on down um, was saying safe and effective, and then into 2021, new administration, that that president, the spokes models, the heads of the CDC and the FDA saying safe and effective, Pfizer knew that within 41 days after the rollout, this is post-marketing, um, 275 subjects sustained strokes of those, one in five died. Um, half of the strokes took place within 48 hours after injection. So 61 people died of stroke. And again, half the strokes were two days after the injection. Okay, okay. Uh, hey, and, hey, and I wanna give, I wanna give, so you had blood clot, you had myocarditis, now you got strokes. I wanna give the link to your site. But real quickly, forget the political operatives. It, it, the emergency use, emergency use authorization was the key to actually let this go because normally this process takes 10 years people right. in a pandemic say hey we got to do all this we got to do this we got to have like a you know a, a trinity program for the a-bomb to do it the, the emergency use authorization process approved this unanimously am i incorrect the fda and their advisory council both unanimously Seeing what that are you are you saying Pfizer didn't show this these documents to the FDA and CDC or that the CDC and the FDA saw it and still gave emergency use authorization for this vaccine, ma'am? It's worse than that, Steve. December 2020, they had the emer emergency use authorization. Every one of these documents on which this report is based was in the custody of the FDA. The White House would have known about it, in, certainly in the new administration, and yet with the emergency use authorization, as they're watching people die, as they're watching 61 bodies pile up, Pfizer concludes there's no serious adverse events, 61 people dead, one in five of the people who sustained stroke events, half of those stroke events within two days after injection. This is just two okay. countries, 41 days after all that, they kept going. We're, we're going to get in a lot more in this next couple days. Okay, so there were strokes and blood clots in Pfizer's own documents that the FDA had in December of 2020. But the study that shows the Pfizer vaccine causes blood clots, we are told, is not a sufficient study on which to base policy. Who do you believe? Pfizer's own documents and your own eyes or PolitiFact and an assistant professor at the University of Utah? But just one more for the vaccine is very safe and effective people. And this clip is pretty damning and it's well worth sharing 
in my opinion. And this is Dr. Kevin Stillwagon in a recent Orange County Board of County Commissioners meeting. And this is Orange County, Florida. Now, as you might guess, Dr. Kevin Stillwagon has been fact-checked before. In fact, he was fact-checked last year after speaking in one of these Orange County board meetings. These were the claims that he was fact-checked on. First, they said that he was a retired chiropractor and former airline captain, so there's no way that he can be trusted as an expert, and that's fine. He was fact-checked on misleadingly claiming that masks decrease the amount of oxygen in your lung tissue and increase the chances of upper respiratory infection. You see, that's totally wrong, and reality proves that for sure. They write, Stillwagon also misleadingly states that COVID-19 vaccines do not protect against infection and decrease the ability to keep viruses out. Now, the vaccines do not prevent infection. Everybody knows and accepts that now. They quoted the WHO, though, in their fact check and wrote all COVID-19 vaccines approved for emergency use by WHO have been thoroughly tested and proven to provide a high degree of protection against serious illness and death. Except again, that's not true. Anthony Fauci actually said some of the stuff in these old fact checks is really interesting and really revealing. This is a quote from Fauci last year in August. The vaccines are doing exactly what we're asking them to do when it comes to keeping you out of the hospital, out of serious disease, and certainly preventing your death. Sure, except when it causes it. Stillwagon further claims that variants of the virus are emerging from those who are vaccinated. That is absolutely true. Stillwagon also claims that vaccines are still only authorized for emergency use and that none of them have been approved by the U.S. Food and Drug Administration. And again, that is also true. The Comirnaty brand name was given its license by the FDA last year, but there's no proof that Comirnaty is being distributed anywhere. Stillwagon claimed that animal trials were not conducted for COVID-19 vaccines to ensure they are safe for people. Now, they did do animal trials. Most of the animals died and they stopped the trials. And this is one of those instances where the fact check is so weak that you actually end up trusting the man even more. So let's hear Kevin Stillwagon's comment. Creates a toxic spike protein in your body that can cause adverse reactions, including. Creates a toxic spike protein in your body that can cause adverse reactions, including nervous system disorders, cancers, and worst of all, myocarditis that can lead to sudden death. So you might be thinking, those adverse reaction people are crazy. I got the shot. Nothing bad happened to me. I'll give you five reasons why that is. First, you have no idea where the tip of that needle is when they push that plunger. If it's in a vein or a capillary bed, those, those particles will rapidly spread to your heart and to your brain, increasing your chances of neurologic and cardiac symptoms. Secondly, you have no idea how many particles are in that syringe. It could vary tenfold based on how it was prepared. And the more particles you get, the greater the chance of an adverse reaction. So maybe you just got lucky. Third, there is polyethylene glycol in the shot that keeps the particles from sticking together. If it degrades, and it does, you could get injected with coagulating goo that can cause a deadly stroke or a heart attack within minutes or hours. Fourth, the mRNA that's in the shot can degrade also. 
So it won't even make the spike protein at all, lessening your chance of an adverse reaction. Fifth, the more acidic your body is, the more spike proteins you will make, and that will increase the chance of an adverse reaction. So maybe you got lucky again, and your body, due to your diet or medications, was less acidic, and you made less spike proteins. But you can only be lucky for so long. The effects of this shot are cumulative. So my advice is to never, ever get one of these shots again. And if you did get one, get your D-dimer levels checked for microclotting and troponin checked for myocarditis. These problems can be asymptomatic and result in chronic disease or death in two to five years if you don't do something about it. Thank you. Now that tracks with a lot of what we've been hearing, and that guy doesn't sound like he has his head on fire. He is also suggesting that people take action. They be proactive about their health and go get these things checked to make sure that they're not going to encounter these problems down the road. This is just advocating for responsible health choices, but I'm sure he'll be fact-checked. And we can be certain beyond any shadow of a doubt that that fact check will be nonsense. So if you're committed to regime communism, you're welcome to distrust the science if you say it hasn't gone far enough. But for everyone else, you have to follow the experts and do what the regime demands. The regime's not going to punish you if you do extra credit work, which is what the people's CDC is doing. The regime is never angry if you're just supporting them too hard. I'll be back on Tuesday, taking the day off for New Year's on Monday. Tuesday, I'll be back. Same reasonable time, same reasonable podcast network. I don't have a network. Masks and lockdowns don't work. They lied to you about a pandemic. And Joe Biden will never be president. In my mind, that's the end game. If you're listening to this episode for free, You can support me and support the show and the work I do by signing up for a paid subscription at imyourmoderator.substack.com. You can do so for as low as $50 a year or $5 a month. Comes out to under a quarter per episode and you'll blast right through the paywall for all of the writing. The merch store is www.cancelcouture.com and you can find everything else by heading to Linktree linktree.com slash I'm your moderator and I'll see you soon out on the range on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. 
Go to quince.com slash style for free shipping and 365-day returns. Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt-free. Hello, fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan-crusted chicken or garlic-butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello, Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com slash style for free shipping and 365-day returns. In my mind, that's the end game. Thanks for listening. If you'd like to follow what I'm reading and thinking throughout the day, you can do that by downloading the Telegram Messenger app and going to t.me slash I'm your moderator. On social media, you can follow me on Truth Social. Getter and Gab at I'm Your Moderator. I also have channels on Rumble and BitChute. If you'd like to follow the writing, you can find me at I'm Your Moderator.substack.com. The merch site is CancelCouture.com or go direct shop.spreadshirt.com slash cancel dash couture. If you'd like to support the podcast financially, the best place to do that is Kofa. Go to ko-fi.com slash I'm your moderator. And all of these details will appear in the show notes with each episode. I'll see you soon down on the range. It's hell!